0: Welcome to the Halakha Hour here live on radio.com. We are here live on Khaf Bet, Tam, not Tamuz, Khaf Bet, today is Khaf Bet Tash Shin Ain Vav. And Be'azat will be continuing our Halakhot of Mukse as we're learning so far from the Ben Hai. Quickly, we have to always start with the introductions as we introduce the class. The numbers to the studio are 718-683-5858. This is the number if you'd like to call in. If you have any questions, you could call in. Although we prefer that you call in at the end of the show, uh, we hope to discuss almost every question that you possibly is out there on the subject. But you could call in anyway if there's some sort of unclarity. And we'll pick up your, your call if we can. Shame. The number to text in, which is the best way to get your answers to your questions, is 347 927 8398 and to listen, you can listen through the internet jrootradio.com or by calling in 718 506 9099 or 712 432 4217. We are in the middle of Parashat Mekits in the Benish High where we discussed all the halachot of, of Mukse or well, at least not all the halachot mukseh because halachot du are divided into two parts, in parashat m'ketz and parashat va'yigash. Also, you should know that as much as we discuss about muqseh, and we really work very hard on making it clear, you should know that the halachot du go way above and beyond what it says over here in this book. As Ben Yishai himself writes in the beginning of his introduction, he writes that, it's impossible to really discuss every detail of the Halakhot of Mukseh. we try to bring some of the main points of the halachot, and we also try to bring out some of the rules and of course it's practicality that you should know at least where there's an area for question if at least when it comes up hopefully you'll be able to pretty much get around on Shabbat avoiding any Isur mukseh but in case you can't get around from it you know at least you'll know where there's a question. We left off discussing last week the halachot of broken vessels, and now we're up to the next halacha, halacha yud gimel in Parashat Miketz and Shana Shaniyah, where we discuss now leftovers from cloth, from clothing or from materials. What does one do when he has clothing or materials that have basically been broken? And you have leftovers. We're not going to read the halakha inside, as I believe most of the details of this halakha are not so practical. But we have to bring it anyway, because we do learn concepts and l- rules from these halakha. Basically, there are three rules that come out from halakha gimel. I'm going to say it all outside. Number one is mahtzelet. What is mahtzelet? Mahtzelet, in plural. And that is mat, a mat. Mats are used, basically, to lie down upon it. You know, places in the olden days where most of the floors were either tile or dirt, people had matzilah. they had left you know mats all over. You couldn't move into the house without mats. It's kind of basically your your that's your floor. That's where you're sitting on. So these mats would break at times. You know they're made out of bamboo wood or whatever it may be. What would happen now when the pieces are broken and now the mat which was let's say eight feet is now very, very small. What would you do with it? So, the first halakha of a mat is that as long as it's ra'ui, as long as the broken piece or the leftover piece of the mat is fit for some sort of usage, any usage, and obviously you kept it around, then it will not become muqseh. That's point number one. Point number two is when you have clothing and they ripped or they're not wearable anymore, and you're not planning to fix them. Because if you're planning to fix them, that's a different halakha. But you're not planning to fix them, and they in turn will become shmatas, as we say. Now, the halakha is very interesting, because it all depends who you are. If you're a poor person, the halakha says, and again, this is what the halakha says, we are not saying this is the practical halakha. We're just telling you what the halakha says, what the book says, what the Gemara says, and what the Shohana says. The halakha says... Is that leftover clothing, if it's for a poor person, even a small size, the size of what Halakha calls 3x3 three three etzba'ot, which is equal to about 6x6 six six centimeters, then that's already good enough to qualify as a keli. As we defined in the past, kili means it has a function. And therefore, because a poor person will use such a small item, even such a small little rag, it's not mukseh if the person is a poor person. However, this size will not work for a person who is wealthy. For a wealthy person, he needs to have the leftover, uh, whatever got ripped, whatever clothing got ripped. He needs to have three by three tefahim, which is 48 by 48 centimeters. That's the difference between poor and rich people. For the poor person... Stam, we're talking about where a person has a ripped clothing, a shmata, a small shmata is good enough. He could use it for, I don't know, for wrapping diamonds. He yeah. doesn't have diamonds. Obviously, he's a poor person. For wrapping, you know, a small little coin. But a wealthy person will get rid of such a small item and dispose of it. So therefore, be mukseh. In order for it to not to be mukse, it should be used as a rag or something. It needs to be bigger, 3 by 3 tefahim. The last point that we find in this halacha, which is again also brought down, and this is perhaps the most important point, and that is, when you have a poor person visiting a rich person's house on Shabbat, or that vice versa, if the rich person is now in the house of a poor person on Shabbat, the halacha is going to be different. Let's say you have a ripped piece of cloth. So we said the sizes differ when a person is rich or when a person is poor. And obviously this is all dependent on the fact that what's commonly done in the days of the Gemara or in the days of Shohan HaRuch, usually a ripped part of a cloth is commonly, what's commonly used by a poor person, even by the size of 6 by 6 centimeters, and by a rich person when it's 48 by 48 centimeters. Here the third point that Shohan HaRuch brings down is that even... Not even. When a person is visiting visiting somebody else, then whoever is the owner of the house, whoever is the owner of the item, he is the one who basically, the halakha depends on him. If he is careful to use it, I mean to say, if he's an ani, and he will use a smaller piece of cloth, so then the rich person who's in the poor person's house could also use it because... He's in his house, and it's not Mukse for the owner, will not be Mukse for the visitor as well. Vice versa, if the poor person is in the rich person's house, and now something rips, and it's smaller than 48 by 48 centimeters, where it becomes Mukse to the Ashir, to the wealthy person, the poor person, although for him it's good, he could use it, since he's in the rich person's house, he already is bound to, to the laws of mukse that are decided based on the level of the rich person, which means for him will be mukse, even though it's 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 bigger than six by six centimeters, it doesn't make a difference. Since he's in the rich person's house, the laws will follow based on the owner. That's a very important rule. That last rule is that we learned a few things that things sometimes mukse depends on the owner, who the person is. So in such a case where the owner is. For him, it's mukseh. It's mukseh for anybody who's visiting him in that house, where it's not mukseh for the owner. Even though if it would have been your house, it would have been mukseh. Since now you're visiting at somebody else, then it will not be mukseh for you either. So that's an important rule practically. Now, let's be honest: ripped clothing. What do you do with it? Most of us throw it out. So whether rich or poor, pretty much on these things that that usually ripped out, you're going to throw it away. Unless people have sometimes when they have things that get ripped. They'll use them for shmatas, rags, to clean up, you know, the bathrooms, or whatever. So it all depends, obviously, on the person. But I'll tell you one interesting halakha that I did see brought down. Peskechuvot brings down the name of Slomo Zaman Orbach. Regarding laundry, what does it mean, laundry? You take off your clothing and you have a hamper in your room, you have a hamper in the bathroom, whether you're a child, you're an adult, married or not married, it doesn't make a difference, right? The halakha tells us now what the question in halakha is, what would happen to the clothing that I wore and I place in the hamper? Could I remove them on Shabbat? Give you an example. You come out of the bathroom. There's no towels. You don't want to run all the way downstairs and to get the towels that are in the laundry room that are folded and nicely you know, prepared for you. You're all the way upstairs. You don't want to go all the way downstairs. One idea. So now you have a hamper right there, and you know that in the hamper you dumped your towel yesterday. Could you pick up that towel from the hamper, or do we say it's mukse? Why would it be mukse? What do you mean? It's perfectly fit. Yeah, but that's exactly where the nekudah, that's where the point is. The question now is, would you on a normal day take something out of the hamper? Would you take it out and would you wear it? Would you take it out and use it for whatever you need to use it for? So let's say you have a hamper and you have inside of it your dirty socks, your smelly other, you know, undergarments, and you have your, you know, dirty shirts and uh, pants or whatever it is, and they're all inside of the garment, okay? Would you take any of these items out? So you can tell me some yes, some not. Okay, that's your answer. Whatever you normally would take out on a normal day and use it again, of course, when it's necessary. I'm not talking about regular. Nobody wants to walk around with smelly socks. People want to wear fresh socks. But when it's necessary, when your washing machine is broken and that's grid good shut off your gas and they don't have gas in the house and now you can't do your dryer and you can't do your cleaner. So what are you going to do now? So what the only option you could do now is take go back to the hamper and pull out some of these old socks and you sniff whatever, you know, people could handle. So... In such a case, since you would pull it out, so it's not completely mukse for you. However, if you're that person that, no way, I'll go buy new socks before I have to, I'll go barefoot anyway, that's a style, no? To walk uh, without socks, that's a new style. So, I won't wear socks, I don't need it. So, in such a case, then the clothing, Rabbi Zam al Arbach says, should be mukse. And therefore, if my towel is dug deep under those uh, piles of whatever it is, so although maybe the towel I would pull out, but to get to the towel, I'll have to move mukse. So I'll have to figure out a way to be able to move the mukse out of the way to get to my towel. In such a case, basically, you'll have to, you know, shove it by the by the back of your hand, by your arms, put the, you know, put the things on the side or knock down the hamper. I don't know if your mom or your Wife will be so happy with that that you knock down the hamper and you put all the clothing on the floor. But in any case, the clothing is mukse. although the towel, you, yes, you would pick it up, you wouldn't dry your hands again with it. So then the towel is not mukse That's the rule, the practical rule. And who decides Who decides if the clothing is going to be mukse or not? It's not a set rule. You decide. You could decide this halakha Mean to say based on what you would normally do. If you normally would take things out of the hamper, then uh, that's a halakha for you. Maybe for your wife will be different. Maybe for your kids will be different. I don't know. Maybe for you next year will be different. You learn you learn a little bit more of how you read the Rambam and maybe perhaps the person should act a little bit more refined way. So maybe you won't touch dirty clothing again. I don't know. But basically, you decide the halakha on what you would normally do. That is halakha outside. Now we come to the main subject of today's class. And that is Halakha yudaleit and halakha tedvav. I would like to finish Parashat Meket, which has tedzayin halachot. We're up to yudaleit, so it sounds like very simple. Okay, you say, you read yudaleit, tedvav, and tedzayin, and you're done. But as you know already from this class, we take our time. We're not in a rush. We want to understand. We want to know. We want to learn. We're not here to just finish. We're not here to make a siyum. It'll be nice, but we're not here to make a siyum. So let's see how much time, how much we could do with the time that we have. Halakha Dalit and Halakha Tedvav discuss a very, very important practical subject that comes up every single Shabbat. And that is the subject of leftover food. What could you do with leftover food? Are they Mukse? Are they not Mukse? When yes, when not, and if they are, when do I have hetair and how do I have hetair of moving them if I do have hetair? Let's begin by reading the halakha inside and translating it just simply. And first we'll get what the um, B'nish Hai says. And you should know pretty much the words that Benishai brings down over here are pretty much the words of Shohan Aruch and almost all the post-scheme. Obviously, the details, the full details of it based on the other Aharonim, you know, that's what we're going to speak about. And a little bit practically. Let's begin. How can you Pay attention to the words. It is permitted for a person to take off the table, to remove from your Shabbat table. Pedureen means crumbs that are not fit for animal or bird consumption. Crumbs over here referring to uh, breadcrumbs. Okay? Breadcrumbs that are not fit for animals or birds, then you're allowed to remove them. What does mean allowed to remove? That you're allowed to pick them up with your hands. Okay. It's also permitted to remove from the table bones and shells of food that is that are fitting for animal consumption. However, Nutshells, which, which are not fit for animal consumption. That means animals cannot eat them. For example, eggshells, right? Eggshells cannot eat them, as Ben Shai talks about in the next halakha. Or let's say certain nutshells that are not edible, even by animals. Then the halakha says, Asur le'abiramu be'yadav u'ayede ke'li. It's forbidden for a person to remove them, to pick them up with his hand. Why? They are mukseh. Even to, re- to pick them up, to move them through a keli, it's also a sur. You can't just move because you, through something else, as we'll learn soon. So you can say, okay, let me pick up the whole table. Let's say you're eating on one of those um, lifetime tables. Eight foot, of course. You know, it's a bad table. So you're eating on those lifetime tables, and you want to pick it up. You don't have such a heavy table, so you tell me I can't pick up the, the 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 bones and everything. Fine. Let me pick up the table and throw out the stuff. No, it's also asur. Which, by the way, in those days they did have movable tables. In our days we would call that a tablecloth. According to the Ben what he's saying over here, if you have mukse leftovers, what are mukse leftovers? Anything that is not fit for animal consumption, okay, that is considered mukse. You cannot pick it up with your hands. You can't even pick up pick it up with a tablecloth under normal circumstances. So now the question is, what do you want me to do? You want me to have a dirty table Friday night and eat on top of it on Shabbat morning, and then when my guests come and the in-laws come in, and you want them to see my house like this, what's oh, going to be we should do him Okay, let me explain to you. It doesn't have to be a shaduchim. I'll explain to you what the how to do it. Okay, so what should you do? Again, those ta- in those days, we didn't have movable tables. Not like today we have. We have big dining room tables that are pretty much stable. You'll only move them for special occasions. So if you have the table, or like what we said, if you have a tablecloth, which has mukse leftovers, bones that are not edible by animals, eggshells that are on it. So what should you do? Put a piece of bread on it. Or if there is already a piece of bread on it, pick it up with a piece of bread. Why? le elu since the tablecloth In our case Or the table in the case of ben Since the tablecloth Is holding the muqseh Which are the bones And And the piece of bread So since it's holding both of them It becomes a basis to the mutar Since the bread is still on it They become batil. They become secondary to the bread but Obviously The bread is more important to you Than the pieces of uh, Than the bones and the eggshells so although you're not planning to eat the bread, but still the bread, as long as it's on it, it's not mukse. So therefore you could pick it up. It's not a problem. Good. I'll give you another heteh, says the Benishai. If you need the place where the table is, like in our case, you want to remove the tablecloth so you could put the new tablecloth and bring out the fruit. Or you want to use it, obviously, for Shabbat day. So if you want to take off the stuff, Then Then you don't need the head tear Of having bread on it Why? Because you need the location Of the stuff Of the You need the other items on it So the tablecloth in itself is not mukse. It's only mukse because it has the bones on it So in such a case you could remove it Now if you followed me so far You are unbelievable That's great If you're able to follow just by listening That's very good But I'll tell you We're going to clarify. Even if you followed me, you just should only know what to do, but you should basically should not understand why we do what we do, unless you learn this halakhot, obviously. So let's explain. Basically, there are two types of leftover foods. We could at least categorize them that way. Foods that are fit for human or animal consumption. They're fit; they could be eaten by animals as you see the cats running through your garbage, right? Or squirrels. Or type number two is when it's not fit for human or animal consumption. In a case where it's not fit for human or animal consumption, the moment they become leftovers, like for example, you have an egg and now you want to take off the shells of the egg. You want to, uh, you know, take it off. <laughs> peel the egg. That's what the board I'm looking for. Now you want to peel the eggs. The shells of the egg, the moment they're placed down, or let's say you're eating, you know, we're gonna talk about pits afterwards. But let's say you're eating uh, olives, and now you have pits, and the pit is, you know, you you sucked out every part of the olive we're talking about. And now you only have the pit. So now pits, olives, shells, I mean, not olives, excuse me, olive pits, eggshells, sh- nutshells that are not fit for human consumption or animal consumption become mukse. Hota Shani says, when do they become mukse? It's only after the meal. As long as I'm still part of eating it and I have leftover food, it's not 100% mukse. I, I don't have the problem yet. In the middle of my food, I don't have to worry if I'm biting on a, on a chicken bone and now I finished the bone, I have to drop the chicken bone from my hand because I finished all the meat on it. It's besides the fact that, by the way, those bones anyway are fit for animal consumption. I don't have to just drop it off from drop it off my hands. Once I'm finished, I'm done with my plate, or let's say I'm done with the meal, then already we come into the laws of mukse. Okay? So now, when it comes to leftover foods, the rule is as follows. When you have something that is going to be thrown out, you're going to throw it out in the garbage, like bones or food and crumbs, all these things, they become mukse. You could only move them off the table... If they qualify for one of those four reasons, we'll give you now four ways, four possibilities if you, that you could actually pick up the bones with your own hands. Okay? Now, excuse me, not with your own hands. Four ways. Sorry, sorry back. Delete. Rewind. One more time. You could clean your table in one of four ways. How could you clean the table in one of four? What are these four ways? Number one is if the leftovers are either f- fit for animals. And what kind of animals, those are animals are found. We're going to discuss, by the way, every single one of those four the, uh, um, ways in detail. Just right now, get the concepts first. How could you clean your table? Either, if they're fit, if the leftovers are fit for commonly found animals. Number two, if they're removed through a in Hilkhot Mukseh. Number three, if they're what's called in Halakha, they categorize in Halakha what's called Graf Shel re'i, literally meaning a... Part of waste for that's made for waste. Number four is if they're fit for human consumption. That's my own addition at the end. We'll explain now all this. We said the first way that you could remove muqsa off the table is if they're fit for commonly found animals. This detail, this way of how to clean your table is going to be discussed by Zat Hashem Halakha Tedvav. So I don't want to get into it right now. We'll talk about it in full detail later on. Second way we said if you want to clean your table where you have mukse on it, is if they're removed through a heter in elchot mukse, meaning they say, I have eggshells, I have things that are really, really not fit for animal consumption. I have no heter right, right now to, re, to move it. They're mukse. How can I clean my table? Number one is something called tiltulmin hatsad. In sa'if hit in siman <laughs> shin yud alif. Maram brings down over there a concept called the laksad. It's a very important concept. I think it's discussed in Parashat Vayigash. We'll talk about it very quickly right now. Listen to this case. You have a The Maram brings down, you have like a, what do you call it? A uh, tsenon. Help me out, Daniel. A radish. You have a radish and it's in dirt. And obviously, you know, it's not growing in dirt. He just stuffed it in dirt in those days. That was their refrigerators. So you have it stuffed in dirt. Dirt is afar is Mukse Mahmad Gufo. So radish is a food. Food is not mukse, but it's wrapped completely. It's inside the dirt. And it's not, it didn't take root. Obviously, they have a problem of tolesh. So now I want to come on to bed. I want to pull out the radish and I have a few leaves sticking out of the radish. So the radish is not mukse. but what would happen now if I would move the radish? automatically I'm also moving the dirt, which is mukse, and you can't say it's moving on its own. No, I'm causing it to move because I want the dirt to move out of the way so I can get my radish. So I can't touch the dirt with my direct hands because the dirt is muksa mahamad gufo. But the radish, the radish I, I could touch. So what's the The is you could pull out the radish even though the dirt will move. This is what's known tiltul Hatsad. Tiltul hatsad means I'm using something that's mutar on Shabbat, that's not Mukse on Shabbat, to move something that's Mukse. This is only permitted when it's for the sake of something that's permitted. Meaning to say, why am I moving the dirt in the case of the radish? First of all, how am I moving the dirt? Through the radish. It's not directly through my hands. I'm pulling out the radish and the dirt is moving on its own. Why would it be permitted? Because the radish is i want the radish i want to eat the radish so i'm doing it for something that's p-mutar. if i want to move the dirt because i don't like the way it looks over there so i'm using the radish now to push away the dirt that's asur because i'm moving it for the sake of the dirt so in our case over here if i have now the mukse on the table the leftover food which is categorized as mukse on my table it's not fit for animal consumption so now i could move it through to Tum how is that so First of all, I need the location. I need to be, it has to be, I need the location of the item. That's what we said right now over here in the Benish High. If I need the location of the mukse, I mean to say it's on a tablecloth and I need to move the tablecloth so I can put another tablecloth. I need to move away the dirty mukse stuff because I want to set up something else on the table. Even if it's not setting up for a meal, I want to set up the flowers or whatever. I want it to look nice. So then I can move it through either a napkin or some people through a shmata, clean the table through a shmata or a napkin or with a knife. Another way is when I have the tablecloth, I can pick up the whole tablecloth together with the garbage on top of it, which we call the leftover food, which has become mukse, and pick it up all one shot because the tablecloth is... And the leftover bones, which are not fit for animal consumption, is Mukse. I'm moving out the tablecloth with the dirty stuff on it because I want the location of the tablecloth. So that's fine. That's muta. I can pick it up that way and throw it in the garbage. That's another Hetir. Third way that we can find a Hetir is when you have the leftovers and they're considered graf shalrai. What do you mean graf shalrai? Sometimes you have food that's left over. And it's just purely disgusting. Yeah, yeah, somebody ate, he has a leftover tahine combined with the chicken, combined with the rice. And it's, you know, some people are so disgusted that they wouldn't even pick it up, right? To the point that they wouldn't pick it up But ask, oh, okay, kids, come on, let's let's uh, let's practice what we train. Oh, time to clean up Shabbat table. Okay, you get that guy's plate, you know? You get daddy's plate, I'm not touching it. So this is a graf sherehi. When a person is repulsed by something, so that we find in halakha something called graf shrei. Klafshirai, like we said, literally is a pot. In those days, before the invention of Baruch Hashem the bathrooms, so the bathrooms would have to be either out of the house, sometimes in the field, and it was very inconvenient. So they have what we call today basically a potty, right? A traveling potty, like they have for the kids. They'd have it for adults. So they have this potty that the family members would, you know, allocate a certain room and they would use it for waste. So now, if this is called the graf Shalrai. If you have graf Shalrai around, now like I says, let's say they had it in the backyard. Now it's a beautiful sunny day in the middle of November. I want to sit outside and, you know, enjoy before the freezing cold weather comes and you're sitting outside and you see, boom, the graf shadrai right there. You see the number two over there. You are allowed to remove it out of your way because it's disgusting. You want to be there? It's disgusting. So you could remove it out of your place, out of your way. Same thing if I'm eating and now the leftover food is on my plate, or it's on the table, and it's disgusting for me that it should be there in front of me. I'm repulsed by it. I'm allowed to pick it up and move it, even though it's 100% muqseh, by the way. I have eggshells i are not fit for animals. According to all she told it's 100% Mukseh. I can still move it because of the heter of graf shalai. You got to remember those words. Graf shalai, the halakha is found in siman shin het, halakha Lamed dalet. Anything that's disgusting on Shabbat, even though it's mukse. I have a to remove it if I'm disgusted by it when it's in front of me. So, practically, like we said, if you want to clean up your table and you see, you know, those things that are just disgusting to be left over on the table, you can pick it up and move it out of the way. Even though smoke, say you're even allowed to pick it up with your own hands. Besides the fact that you probably wouldn't even touch it with your own hands, even if you're wearing gloves, because that's how you disgust disgusted by it. You'll probably just pick it up, like we said, either with a napkin a shmata, put it on a plate. Anyway, the plate is... Not muxes, so you're picking all of it up. That would be mutar, and you should keep in mind. I said the fourth hetera is when it's fit for human consumption. You should keep in mind, but that by the way, a lot of times you have food that you're gonna throw out not because it's disgusting, not because uh, it, it, you know it's not eaten. You know, people ate from it. No, sometimes you have very very good food. Just so you know, you have no room in your fridge for leftovers that are gonna be stored for another week. That's uh, you know, caterers do this all the time. They have a lot of very good food, but Nobody's picking it up afterwards. No, they're not going to store it. They have another party afterwards, and they're going to throw it out. Is it unfortunate? Yeah, it is, but but what are you going to do? At the end of the day, they have to you know, they have another party, to take care of it, to take care of. So therefore, over here, in your house the same thing. Yeah, how much chalent could you save already? The kids are not eating leftover chalent. they want to so you have very good chocolate. It's still in the serving bowl, and you want to throw it out. That's not Mukse it's even fit for human consumption. We're talking about mukse that's not fit for human consumption, either because people ate from it, it's disgusting, people are going to throw it out. And then also, as we'll discuss later, it's also not fit for animal consumption as well. Okay, now as a side point, cleaning up, by the way, for sa'udah shalishit is a different story. Cleaning up for sa'udah means to say, you had sa'udah shalishit, the ladies had sa'udah in the house, and now they're done eating, and they want to clean up. That's not so simple because over there, when if it's gladshodai, like we said, it's disgusting in front of you. You're allowed to take it out, but if it's not it's just a few leftover plates and a few crumbs on the table, that's not. You're not disgusted by it. You might not like it. You know, ladies and certain men like to have their house very tip-top, you know, clean and shiny, but it's not disgusting for you. So therefore, you don't have to take gladshodai. It'll be nicer, of course, if the if somebody's coming over, you would like to clean up, but. It's not Graf Sharii. Graf like we said, you're disgusted by it. So in that case, to clean up, you don't have to eat Graf Besides that, you have another problem of preparing from Shabbat, most of Shabbat. why are you preparing? Why do you want the table clean? So you can set up the next meal on it. But when's the next meal? It's going to be after Shabbat. So you're preparing on Shabbat for after Shabbat. So that's why by Sardash el to clean up is not so passionate. In the shul, where it's a small shul, and they eat Sardash el in the same place where they eat, pray, so in that case they can clean up because it's mamash in front of them they can't pray, they can't use the tables so in that case, then you have the other heterim it's not called hachanah because you're using the tables now, as opposed to cleaning up sedashashit in your house when you're going to use the table only after Shabbat. Okay, now with that introduction, let's come back to our case leftovers, let's look at the leftovers on our tables, what do we have leftovers usually? Bread. Leftover bread, actually, we said over here that you could pick it up with your own hands because they're not mukseh, even if they're not fit for animals. Milan doesn't bring that they have to be fit for animals. Okay, so you could pick it up and remove it, but it has to be. What we're talking about only there's only a question when they are smaller than a kezayit, bigger than a kezayit. People usually eat or they save, and if you definitely want to eat from that bread, there's no question that's not mukseh. So, but if you have these little crumbs around, then those. Of bread. What's a say that you could pick it up and move it? And the answer is because you could give it to birds, you give it to cats. They'll eat the bread. So you have a hetair to remove them also That for that reason. As a side point, I want to mention that you should be careful in how you throw out bread. I know a lot of people are awkward. Some people may not know the halakha. That you're allowed to throw out bread as long as it's smaller than a kazait Kazait means about an ounce. So if you have bread that's less than an ounce, you'll allowed to throw it out. i talking about weekday also. You'll allowed to throw it out. However, Maran writes words. He says, Even though you'll allowed to get rid of pieces of bread that don't have a kazait but it's kashel It's not good because it could cause poverty. When is that so? It's only if you throw it out in a way that's disrespectful. You throw it out in the street where people are going to step on it. If a person is taking the bread and throwing it out in a special bag and therefore keeping the respect of the bread, then that's not a problem. Again, that's only if they're small than A big piece that's bigger than kazait You cannot throw it out like that. Some say you could rip it apart, make it small in the and throw it out. You could rely on those opinions. But to take regular bread and throw it out, you should not do so. So what should you do with all the bread if it's bigger than the You have the pizza crust, which is for sure bigger than kazait. In general, I'm talking about the weekday. So in that case, either break it up into small pieces and throw it out or put it in the bag. Keep it on the side for about a week or two. And you'll see once it gets a little bit moldy, then already it's not fit for human consumption. You could throw it out. The best, if you could find a way to give it to the birds or whatever it is, you could do so, although New York City doesn't like me to say that because I think the sign says, feed a bird, you know, breed a uh, breed a rat or something like that. You know, you bring a rat in. So, in any case, you'll figure out what you want to do with uh, feeding it to the animals. But that would be the best possible. If not, you keep it on the side till it gets a little bit moldy. Once you see that bacteria on it, you can get rid of it. Come back to our case now. This whole problem when we said that the pieces of bread that lessen less than become, at least in the subject or question of mukse that's only rabotai. That's only if they're smaller than kezayit. Big the kezayit, they're not a problem with Also, this is only true by bread. Any other food, says Zahot Shani, any other bread that, I mean, excuse me, any other food that's smaller than kezayit does not have this problem. Only bread, when it's smaller than kezayit, it loses its hashibut, loses its importance. So therefore, then you have to find hetanim to be able to pick it up. But other foods are not. Now, other things that you have on the table, leftovers from meat or even bones and all these things. So the rule is, if they're soft bones, like chicken bones, or if they're bones that have a piece of meat on them, or even the leftover meat, since it could be technically eaten by animals, so then... They're not mukse either, and I'm talking about when I say they're not mukse, you can pick it up with your own hands. If they're, however, when they're not fit for human consumption, animal consumption, like we said before, by the eggshells, or unsalted nutshells, you know, sometimes you have the salted nutshells, people will suck on it. So the nutshells are ra'u'i. I Maybe mean, people won't do it, but they are ra'u'i. They are fit. So in those cases, then, when they're 100% mukse. Then we need to go back to the heter that we said beforehand. Either pick it up with a tablecloth, move it through a uh, napkin, clean up with a sweeper with a napkin. You can't use your bare hands to pick it up. Good? Okay, now we move on to the next halakha. We've been saying over and over if the food is fit for animal consumption, then it's fine. So, this heter of the fact that it's fit for animal consumption is not a blank heter mean to say. It's not a blanket that I can just go ahead and say, okay, uh, I think an elephant could eat this. Okay, so it's not mukse. And here, you know, I, I've heard, I've seen once on the animal show when they showed this, you know, alligators will eat such a thing. It doesn't work that way. What does it mean that you're allowed to remove bones or food that's fit for animal food? Use, uh, animal consumption? Let's see halakat haatzamot. The bones that we just mentioned, that you allowed to move them. Even though we told you a lot to move them because they're fit for animal consumption, when do we say that? That's only in a place where there are dogs. Not just there are dogs, that's common to have dogs. But if you're in a place on Shabbat where there are no dogs around, for example, you're on a ship, you're on a cruise ship or something. Or, or you're traveling, you know, in the desert. In those days, they used to travel. It took them weeks to travel some places. They're in the desert somewhere. In such a case, you're not allowed to move them. There are no dogs around you. This is the reason why we permit you to move food that's fit for animal consumption. Not because it technically it's fit. It's technically fit, but also you have to have animals around you. That's a halakha in Shohana Ruch, which Ibn Ishai brings down. This is not something that people argue on. The argument is only in the definition of what's called commonly around. And here we have already a few different ways of explaining it. The word that was used in Shohana Ruch was that the animals have to be matsui. What does it mean matsui? It literally means found. So Mishnah says that, most people will have such an animal. Most people have such an animal. This doesn't mean that you have to take a survey and find out that there's 51% of people who have the animal and 49%. No, it means it's very, very common to see wow people walk with such animals. If you're walking in the street and you see people walking their dog, yeah, okay, a lot of people have dogs. Some people have seven, four, eight dogs, right? And But if you walk one day in the street and see a guy walking with a, with a, with a chain and he's walking a tiger... That's not normal. Right? What's this guy doing? Okay, so that's not normal. That's not called commonly around. So that's the definition of mishaberah. Hakam b'tzion says a major hiddush. Hakam b'tzion says, if you have a city, now over here the halakha says in that city that's commonly found. He says if let's say you live in a city where once it's a big city, one side of the city, the neighborhood over there in that city, there are no dogs. The other neighbor has dogs, but where you live on Shabbat. People don't have dogs. There are no dogs roaming around the street. There are no animals roaming around the street. Le mashal you live in Manhattan. I highly doubt that in Manhattan. I'm not there. I'm not a resident Manhattan. I try to avoid Manhattan as much as I can. Baruch Hashem. But I highly doubt that in Manhattan. Yeah, there are many, many dogs roaming around. Perhaps maybe people do own a lot of dogs, and uh, they'll they'll be able. A lot of a lot of, animal, a lot of people do have dogs, so maybe it will, it will qualify. But let's assume people don't have dogs in Manhattan for a second. Okay, so there's no animals roaming in the street, and there's no such a thing. So in such a case, according to Akham Ben let's say part of Manhattan has a lot of dogs, another part where you live doesn't have dogs. That's not called matsui. It's not called, called commonly found, and therefore says Akham Ben you don't have such a hetir. You, your, if your food is fit for animals, for those dogs. are on the other side of the city, that's not called. Food that's fit for animals. Your food will be, remain muksesis. You don't have animals around your neighborhood. However, Hakam Abadiyah and Hazan Abadiyah and Rav Nisim Karolitz and Huchanim disagree. They're right. Anywhere in the city, Hakam speaks clearly against Hakam Ben He says, that's, that's true. He brings the Ben Hai as a great proof. It says Hakam Abadiyah, what did the Ben Hai give as an example? If you're around a place where there are no animals. What does he say? If you're on a ship. If you're on a ship. Yeah, on a ship people don't have animals. Why didn't the Benish Hai say if you're in part of the city that doesn't have animals? We all know the upscale cities, especially in those days, didn't have dogs. Today dog, I've a But those days they didn't have dogs. So therefore, if Benish I could have given a very simple example, if you live in an upscale neighborhood where there are no dogs, you don't need the dogs to guard your place because you have the Israeli Mossad guarding your your uh, your property, so then in that case you could have said, in that case Muksele, he didn't say that, because as long as it's in your city that qual- you qualify for the hiter if you're on a ship where there are absolutely no animals, no dogs then you don't qualify for the hiter that's the opinion of so again let's come back, what is called commonly found it means that it's around you so in Brooklyn, New York where there are squirrels all over the place and there are cats all over the place. And there are dogs all over the place. That's called... We commonly find, we find that we have these types of animals. And therefore, much of our leftovers will be considered... ra'ui le It's fit for animal consumption and should not be muxay. We should be able to move them. Of course, we're always going to have the eggshells that are not fit for animal consumption, right? Okay. Now, I mentioned that our cats and squirrels and dogs going around so now we know most of the dogs are roaming around our streets are owned by people however cats majority of cats are have care are ownerless and certainly nobody I, guess, I don't know people own the only time that people own squirrels are when they're planning to get rid of them you know they catch them and you know they're gone that's it they're not using the squirrels as pets so question is that's interesting do the Animals are mentioned here when we say that the animals around. Could you does do the animals? Excuse me. Do the animals have to be owned? Could they have? Do they have to have an owner to qualify as animals roaming the streets? So I could rely on the heter that my food should not be mukse. Shalmei Yehuda there's a great book on Hukhod mukse. It's an old book, but it's a very very excellent book on Hukhod mukse. The whole book is on hachod mukse. It's called Shalmei Yehuda. He brings the name of Eliyashiv that yes, the animals must be must have an owner for the heter to work. We'll explain why in a second. With the exception of a dog, even dogs that are not you know, that don't have an owner, they are with, ex- with the exception of dogs, all animals, in order to qualify for this heter, that your food should not become muksed, they must have an owner. However, Scheinberg in the same book in the back. He has a whole section where he disagrees. Acham Badiah also disagrees, as we'll explain the reasons now. Rabbi Yashif says that when you have cats around and you have squirrels around, since they don't have any owners, so then you don't have the heter that your food should not be mukseh because it's fit for animals. Because the halakha tells us that you cannot feed Any animal which is not your responsibility. In ma'akhalan alav. You cannot feed an animal which is not your responsibility. Since these animals are ownerless. Cats don't have an owner. Squirrels don't have an owner. Birds don't have any owners. And I don't think you're feeding mice. But anyway. So you don't... Since they don't have an owner, you don't have a responsibility to feed them. So what if they're roaming in your backyard, and your front yard, and on your roof? Who cares? You don't... Since you cannot feed them on Shabbat. Therefore, what's a heter of being able to move the food? You cannot feed them. That's opinion of Rabbi Yoshef. However, like we said, Rabbi Scheinberg disagrees. He brings a few arguments. I'll give you two. He says, number one, first of all, Rabbi Scheinberg says, no, you don't need the animals to have an owner. No, first of all, there's no posek before Rabbi Yoshef that ever mentioned this. We don't find anybody mentioning that you need the animals to be owned by somebody. And also, even if you want to tell me that I'm not allowed to feed animals that are not mine. Why? Because HaKad says, Kol she'en so that's not what it means. Alekha, when Allah tells me I can't feed animals, are not my responsibility. It doesn't mean if I own them or not. My responsibility means that animals that come to me to eat. For example, a lot of people feed cats even though they don't own cats. You know, there's cats roaming all over the streets. And the cats are cute. and not like the dogs are ferocious and scary. Cats, people like like the kittens and they put food for them. Are they the owners of the cats? No, the cat eats, says, and goes away. That's it. So if the cat comes to your house and you feed it anyway, even if it's not yours, the halakha permits you to feed it on Shabbat means that they usually don't come to you and since cats do come to people's houses and they do get fed and certainly if they get fed by somebody on the block even if it's not you, you, you but since it's they're around and people do feed them that's already considered that, that at least qualifies you for the hetir of that the food should be ra'ui from achal behemah another hetir Akam brings down he says I don't even need this whole hete that you have, to be, you have to own the animals. Why? Because this whole thing, this whole halakhad of mukseh has nothing to do if you're going to actually feed them or not. The halakhot of mukseh depend on if the food is fit for animal consumption or not. He brings this in the name of Meorah Shabbat, the name of Yisrael Fisher. Food, in order for it not to be Mukseh, just has to be fit for food. It doesn't actually. You don't actually have to feed the animals. As long as it's fit for it, you. That's already takes it out of the category of mukse. Another heter, based on the mishnah even the animals that we said you're not allowed to feed on Shabbat or Yom Tov, if you place the food outside, and the animals come and eat it on their own, that's mutar. So if I'm going to my leftover food on the table, and I want to pick it up and I want to place it in my backyard. Even though you want to tell me, let's assume that you. I'm not allowed to feed the cats. Let's assume. I'm not allowed to feed the cats means I'm not allowed to put the food right in front of them. But if I leave it in my backyard and the animals come whenever they want, they eat it. They could. That, that's a mutar according to halakha. So since that way is mutar, so yeah, I could do the same thing now on Shabbat. I could technically pick up the food and feed it to animals. Would I do it? No, 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 no. New York City told me I'm going to bring rats. So therefore, I'm not going to feed the animals. I'm not going to feed the squirrels. I'm not going to feed the birds. I'm not going to feed the cats. But since I could, so therefore, at least it saves my food from being mukse. Now, keep in mind, the other hitarin that I also if a person wants to pick up food that's fit for animal consumption, but I think that's good enough for now. Um, keep in mind, though, that if you are a person that does own an animal, then as long as any of your leftovers are fit for your animal, even if you not actually feed them from your leftovers, you don't need any of these heterim Your food does not become mukse. Any of your leftover food, once it's fit for your animal, so then already it's not mukse for your animal. For you, at least, that means, because you could technically give it to your animal. Of course, you reserve some nice, good food for your animal. It does make a difference somebody has a question now what the, what's a question we always mention that when it comes to mukse, it depends on the person like we mentioned at the beginning of the class you decide if something's gonna be mukse or not because it depends on your standards like we mentioned by the case of the laundry would you pick it up or would you not pick it up if that's so so how can you tell me that our leftover food is not mukse? of course it should be mukse. why should it be mukse? because nobody here feeds animals at least most of the people don't feed animals if you have a pet I understand oh you're one of those people that loves animals and you always give them food okay but most the majority of the people here Israel people that live in big cities that is they don't own animals they don't feed animals they don't want to feed animals so how could they be how could you be material them to pick up the food since it's fit for animal consumption so the answer to your question is that this is actually a mahloket of brings the name of Megdalot Eliyahu, that all these etterin that we just mentioned before, a person shouldn't rely on them. Why? Based on the question, since we do not feed animals in our days, we don't commonly feed animals in our days. So therefore, the the food should technically become Muktzeh. The leftover our leftover food, even if it's fit for animal consumption, should technically become Muktzeh since we don't normally feed animals. How? And that seems by the way the opinion also of uh, Rav Eliezer. Shamei so brings down Rabbi that this whole heter of the food that's fit for animal consumption doesn't really apply in our days because we don't feed animals in our days and people are, don't own these animals. However, other post scheme, even modern post I mean all the post that I pretty much looked at, nobody, nobody mentioned this point. And they all lived in big cities. They seem to understand in its simplest sense that as long as it's fit, for animal consumption and the animals around me, even though I don't normally feed the animals, it would be good enough to qualify me for the heter that my food should not become mokse. So practically, if I have leftover food that is fit for common animals, common animals are Dogs, because a lot of people do own dogs in our neighborhoods. Cats, because cats do roam our streets, and certainly if you live in Yerushalayim. And also for squirrels, all these types of foods will not become mukse. However, food, which is certainly not edible for animals, then everybody agrees that's going to be mukse. So how do you clean the table? Like you mentioned before, you have to either pick it up with a tablecloth, or if it's graf shel where it's disgusting, it's in front of you, and disgusting, then you're going to have to pick it all up and take it all to the garbage in such a way. We're pretty much done with these two halakhot. I'm not going to finish reading the other part of the uh, halakha of Tet Vav. Uh, We're nearing the end of our class. I just want to jump to the next halakha. I want to finish the parasha. Uh, It's not fair, probably, that we don't give it the proper attention and time, but I'm going to have to squeeze in the last few halakhot so we can start fresh Barzat Hashem in the next parasha. Next halakha deals with a very important concept known as Mebate'l Kelim Hechano. Mebate'l Kelim Hechano is a very interesting halakha. Let's first see the application of this halakha and then we'll explain the reason of the halakha. Whoever is calling, we ask you that please hold on and we'll get to your phone call. In a second, because we have uh, a few minutes left, we want to cover what we have to cover. Let's get to the halakha. Anything which is in the category of mukseh, which makes us forbidden from moving it, you're not allowed to place it in a keli, in utensil, which is a regular utensil. Why? Because now that you place it in the kelly, now that you place it, let's say, on, on a plate. Plate is kelly'sha mechnol You want to move a plate. And you want to take now something that's mukse. let's say, the eggshell. You want to crack your the eggs. You want to open them on top of the plate. What's going to happen when you put the eggshells on the plate? You now cannot move the plate because the eggshells are on it. It's it's now holding up the eggshells. So what's the problem? That's called mebatekri mechnol. You've, basically, it's a rabbinic law. You've made the plate now unmovable. So it's identical to, some explain, it's identical to Soter. It's like you broke the keli. Again, it's not deoraita, it's de banane, but it's like you broke the keli because now you can't move the plate. And some say it's like boné, it's like you basically cemented the plate in the ground because now you can't move it from that spot. So it's like boné. Again, it's not the writer, it's the banana, But that's the source of this halakha. It's called Kili liMechano. Therefore, he says over here, practical case, like we just exa- uh, example, like we just said. Vilachen pe You are not allowed to place on, let's say, a bowl or a plate, any shells of nuts or eggs that in machadam that are not fit for human consumption or Animal consumption, like we said before. But when does this apply? That's only if the utensil that you're placing, let's say the plate or the bowl, is completely empty. And doesn't have also food or anything that's fit for human consumption. So uh, let's give you an example. You're eating your cherries. After you're done eating your cherries, you have the pits. The pits are not fit for animal consumption, certainly not for human consumption. If you place it in an open bowl or a cup, then you're making the cup not fit to carry anymore. So it becomes meba, you're So what should you do? Put a few good cherries inside beforehand, and then put the pits on side, on top of that plate. This way, the keli now, the, which is your cup or your bowl or your plate, is carrying both the heter, which is the cherry, and the isu, which is the cherry pits. Now if you want to pick it up, you're picking them up both together with the uh, the plate together with the pits and the cherries and the pits become batel to the cherries. The best is if you would put bread. As a ben had it says that we only say the mukse leftovers like pits and whatever, we only say they become batel to another food when it's bread. But if it's not bread, they do not become, uh, what's it called? They do not become batel to it. They become secondary to it. So therefore it's best if you're eating, let's say, seeds and you want to spit out your seeds or shells, Although there's a discussion in the post-scheme, Shohan Ruch brings it down, if you're allowed to spit them out in front of you, many of the modern post-scheme, like Shlomo Zaman Orbach, they are material that a person should, you know, when he's eating uh, seeds or whatever it is, or nuts, to take out the shells and place them in front of him. So before you place them on an empty vessel, on an empty plate, make sure you first fill, uh, you put a piece of bread, and then you put eggshells shells or your... Uh, sunflower seed shells or your nut shells you put them all ab- afterwards so this way you are, don't transgress the to... surah out of time this class will be aired on again tonight if you have any question, you can call in the surah right now 718-683-5858 or you can text in at 347-927-8398 we hope to continue next week with next parashah parashah also not subject of mukse, but a different category of Muqsay. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Shabbat shalom.